What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today on What Got You There Sean sits down with Mia Saini Dichnowski Mia resigned from her high-profile job as a TV reporter with Bloomberg TV to launch her own company, Orzen Alps. Orzen Alps is an athleisure men's skincare company. After five years in front of the camera, she realized that she wanted to build something that she was passionate about from the ground up. Mia has a versatile skill set and experiences from being a NASA engineer, Goldman Sachs salesperson, and from her time as a business broadcast journalist. In this episode, we find out what the struggles are of starting a new company. Mia discusses how you build a brand that is authentic and gains market share in a crowded space. Mia is one of the most accomplished people you will come across, and this episode is jam-packed with valuable insights. This is a must-listen episode of What Got You There. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Mia, thanks for joining us on What Got You There? How are you doing today? I'm good, Sean. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, coming off the 4th of July holiday, I know we both got to relax just a little bit, but looking forward to jumping back into this conversation. And jumping back into the work week, right? It's so yep. bizarre to be back. <laughs> <laughs> it never stops, though, does it? It just doesn't. So, I mean, you mentioned that, getting right back into the work week. Your CEO, wife, mother, how do you start your day? <laughs> with like three kids in the bed. (laughs) Um, Well, today, this morning, it was one. I've got three little ones, um, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and one-year-old who keep me very, very busy. Um, But what's the best, to be completely honest, the way I start my day is I spend um, at least five minutes, what I call doing my like gratitude moment where I just lay in bed and I just like kind of, it's like a checklist of all the things that I'm super grateful for and that I have gratitude for. Um, and that's how I start my day. And I do a little prayer and then I get up. I wish I could meditate um, or do something a little bit more substantial or longer, but pretty much that's all I got. Um, and that really sets the tone for for the rest of my day. No, I love the gratitude practice. And I've, I've been trying to implement that even more the past few months because I heard other guests mention that. And yeah, it does set a great intention for the rest of the day. So let's get past your your morning routine right when you dive into work. What does that look like? I mean, young entrepreneur, how, how do you handle so many things right now? Yeah. So usually when I get into the office, the first thing I I will have just completed is a workout, whether it's like a morning run or I'm lifting weights or I'm doing something. And that always sets um, the second tone for the day, which is I could have the worst day ever, but at least if I had a great workout, I feel like I've accomplished a lot. Um, So that's really helpful. So I'm usually coming in literally like with wet hair. It's kind of like the joke in the office that I like (laughs) don't have time to dry my hair because I just don't. Um, And so my hair is always 
what. Uh, and I will have various meetings and I go get pulled in many different directions. So, uh, for example, right before I started chatting with you, I was in an email meeting where we were talking about not only like the brand behind our emails and how we're branding our emails, but also kind of like the content and how we want our emails to flow. And so you, we spent a lot of time on the email logic. And so that was what I was doing right before this. Right after this, I have an email or I have a uh, interview with a potential candidate we're um, possibly going to hire um, to help on our social media side of things. And then I've got another meeting with um, one of our investors and then I've got another meeting to talk about our June numbers. Um, we just completed June and so we're kind of we're gonna re go you know reestablish um, where we are headed and um, taking a good look at where what's possible in Q3. So my day gets pulled into very many different directions. Sometimes I, I joke that I feel like I'm in, like I'm the chief admin officer because I'm doing <laughs> a lot of things also that have nothing to really do at least on the surface with the business but are so important um, in terms of you know helping the engine that is Orson Alps um, keep running. Well, hopefully those June numbers came in strong, so that would be an enjoyable meeting. But you mentioned the company Oars and Alps, which you started with your friend, Laura, um, athleisure skincare company for men. You want to just give a little bit more info on the company, on you and your backstory? Sure. So Oars and Alps started when I realized that my husband, who's very much your guy's guy, was always finding his way into my SPF moisturizers or my eye creams. <laughs> and he had a real, real legit concern for why he cared about these um, using these products. The first was um, he has really pale translucent skin and he's at risk for skin cancer. His grandfather has skin cancer. His father has it. And so he knew that he needed to protect himself from the sun's cancer causing UV rays. And he didn't own an SPF moisturizer. So he's using mine. Now I thought this was great, but as you can imagine, it caused a few problems on my side. The first being that women's products are up to five times more expensive than men's. And so, you know, while he was putting his pinky in my like $100 <laughs> eye cream, I was having like a mini heart attack. Um, also, I have a science background. I went to MIT um, and studied science and engineering. And so I know that a guy's skin is just different than a woman's skin. A guy's skin is thicker, coarser, more prone to ingrown hairs and breakouts. So fundamentally, they need to be using very different types of formulation, formulations that are suited for their skin. Using any other kind of formulation is doing your, yourself no favors. I also realized, um, you know, that guys dislike, loathe, detest, pick your word, um, retail shopping in the traditional <laughs> environment. It's just not fun. It's not pleasant. And unless they are like at the early part of a relationship, <laughs> that's the only time they'll be willingly, happily, you know, go along to like a Sephora or a Blooming <laughs> Otherwise, they'd rather shoot themselves. Um, and like, who has the time to wait in line at CVS or Walgreens to, you know, decode and demystify all the products on the shelves? And so, not to mention all those products are really full with toxins. And so, we wanted to create a product line of skincare products that were made with good for you natural ingredients that were not expensive and that were delivered to your door in an easy kind of auto renewal way. And Oars and Alps, um, Oars because my husband is a competitive rower, Alps because both of our husbands, you mentioned Laura Lasowski cox who is my co-founder, um, both of our husbands are avid snowboarders and skiers. So a year-round skincare line for that guy on the go. What we felt that was missing in the space was um, the opportunity for, for guys to have products that were not like necessarily metrosexual 
and not for the average guy. And so that's where we really focus on this athleisure space. Like this guy is doing things. He's going places and we're really just along for his journey. He doesn't need our, us to reach his goals. He's already reaching these goals. We're just along for the ride. Oh, I got you. Do you think you could have launched this brand 15 years ago based on price point and your target uh, demographic? Wow, what an interesting question. I'd say the answer is no. I think a lot has changed in the past uh, five years in the the kind of retail ecosystem. The first is that um, there's this big thing called Amazon that <laughs> made everyone get so used to getting two-day shipping. And having the logistics behind that and the operational complexity figured out to get people their products when they want it, when they need it, so they don't have to wait a long time, is something that has only become more recent in you know the past five years. 15 years ago, I'd say no. Second, I'd say is guys are, you know, 15 years ago, guys started caring about um, what they were eating. There was this huge movement to make sure that they were eating whole grains and, you know, making sure they were staying away from, um, bleached products and that they were really focused on, you know, limiting the amount of carbs or whatever, um, you know, spending, you know, $10 on a green juice. Now you're seeing that extension expand. So, you know, whereas 25 years ago, they started working out to take care of their body. 15 years ago, they really started focusing on nutrition and eating things like quinoa. In the past couple of years, you're seeing guys actually extend that to their skin. Um, and I think that is the same movement you're seeing with the mind. You know, we started this conversation talking about meditation. Um, this same guy understands the importance of overall well-being and taking care of his mind, taking care of his body, taking care of his health and his diet, and also taking care of his skin is something that's also important. Um, your skin is your largest organ. Um, it's, it's under the sun. It's in the wind, it's in very harsh, polluted environments, and you want to make sure that you're taking care of it. Not necessarily from a vein point of view, but really from a health point of view. And you're seeing a lot of guys starting to understand that. Yeah, no, I was interested how you were going to answer that question. And I agree. I don't think you could have started this company really based on on the two price points as well. I feel like you have kind of that lower tier CVS where a guy's going in just grabbing whatever uh, commercial he's seen recently. And then you have that ultra high end price point. I feel like you guys have found this niche in the middle there, which is an interesting. And where did you guys get that idea to kind of get that middle tier price point? Yeah. So I went to Harvard Business School. And one of the things we learned in business school is price before product. And that's an invaluable lesson that I took away, uh, a very valuable lesson, which is you can't just come up with the product and all the bells and whistles and then come up with a price later because your margins are going to be off, your cost of goods are going to be off, and you're going to have no idea within which part of the, you know, the X and Y axis you're operating under in terms of what your value proposition is as it is juxtaposed to, to the price and your offering. And so I really wanted to make sure that we were offering a price point that was a little bit higher than drugstore, but below, uh, for example, a Kiehl's or you're below some of the other kind of competitors um, that are, that is to say that we'll never compete on price because I don't think it's a sustainable strategy in the long term. But yes, we are priced very affordably. What separates you from every other company out there? Brand. Brand is our moat. We 100% believe that customers not only care about, but crave authenticity. They want to feel like you are not preaching at them, but talking to them. We have a brand. How many skincare brands can you name and, and tell me what their brand stands for? Hmm. 
It's a great point. We stand for our guy doing amazing things with his life. He's going places. He's taking to the oars. That's, that's our saying. Um, take to take to the oars is a great, great um, proverb. And it, it goes, um, if the wind will not serve, take to the oars, which is such a poignant and beautiful quote. And it essentially says, if you can't figure out how to get from A to B, don't rely on the wind. You need to figure it out yourself. And um, it's a very motivating way of kind of how we think about our business. Hashtag take to yours. Um, you have the strength within you to get to where you're going. And that's what our brand stands for. Yeah, no, I mean, I love how you guys are building that around brand, creating the hashtags around that as well. What I'm curious, I, I understand the genius uh, behind you and Laura starting this, but how do two females start a men's skincare company? <laughs> I mean, I, I completely see it because I, I looked back on my purchases and how I ended um, the, the products I use in the shower or face washes, things like that, and it got back to a female at the time. So I'm thinking you guys have the best um, insights into this. So it makes sense to me, but can you explain it to my listeners how yeah. you guys end up starting this? Yeah, totally. So you're absolutely right. What we realized is, you know, um, I should say that I used to be a, a former TV anchor, most recently at Bloomberg TV. And that's when I had access to all these skincare products. And that's when my husband was using all my products. One of the things I quickly realized is that um, I was a gatekeeper to my husband's skin. Um, women control up to 80% of household purchases, and that very much extends into the bathroom. You know, I'm buying the toilet paper, I'm buying the shampoo, and I'm buying the SPF moisturizer, so <laughs> to speak. And he's a beneficiary of all of these products. Um, and when Laura and I got together and we would talk to other women and other guys, this quickly became very, very um, obvious to us and very... Uh, real, which is that many women are either doing two things. They're either introducing men to skincare or influencing them. Introducing is literally buy the product and put it in front of their, uh, maybe it's their son or their boyfriend or their husband or fiance or, you know, maybe a male colleague. They, they literally will do that, maybe through a gifting or what have you. Um, or they're, number two, doing something called influencing, where they'll talk about ores and apps or they'll talk about how important it is to protect yourself from the sun or, or to, you know, look at the crow's feet, um, next to your eyes and they'll influence the behavior of, and then the guy will actually put in his credit card information or, you know, go to the store and make the purchase. And so that's a very, very real thing. And so we're the gatekeepers. Um, and that's why we always say we have skin in the game because, um, the guys we care about in our lives do. You mentioned your Bloomberg background, also Harvard Business School. I know you were at MIT prior to that. I mean, wow, that's <laughs> a pretty impressive background there. You want to just talk a little bit about prior to MIT? I mean, clearly you're very well educated. What was your upbringing like? Uh, well, I um, grew up in a small family um, in a, like a little farm town an hour east of California called Tracy. And I always thought I was going to be an astronaut. And so I spent a lot of my time trying to figure out how to do that. Um, I was, I think, an anomaly to many people. I was a high school cheerleader and gymnast, but I also was, you know, valedictorian of my high school. I was, you know, I love learning. You talked about how you have a, um, a voracious appetite in terms of, you know, making sure you have knowledge in, in reading. And that's very much the same with me. I always wanted to learn. And one thing that I think I can take away from all of my experiences is not only did I like to learn, but I like to share that information with others. And to be able to share that information with others, um, I had to learn pretty quickly how to take information that was sometimes complicated, synthesize it, and, um, you know, convey it and communicate it to 
the masses or, you know, to a specific type of uh, cohort. Um, but that's, that was, that was my upbringing was very much, you know, I was like the biggest nerd you'll ever meet and, um, thought I was gonna be an astronaut, went to MIT, uh, was going to major in computer science, but it was probably, it was the most popular major there and it was a little overwhelming for me. And, um, I decided to switch to, um, neuroscience and within neuroscience, the computational neuroscience aspect, which was becoming a new field, which was essentially uh, like artificial intelligence. Um, so I studied that. I studied civil engineering. Um, I did a little business there. I think I double, I double majored and double minored. Um, and, um, from there I spent two summers interning at NASA cause I still thought I was going to be an astronaut. <laughs> Um, so then a company called Goldman Sachs found me and I interned there, uh, for a summer and just fell in love with the fast paced nature of the global markets. And so I accepted a full-time position to take a job, um, upon graduating from MIT and I loved it. I was on the floor when Bear Stearns collapsed and I remember having a very heart-wrenching moment where I saw a lot of panic in the global markets and, um, I was looking at this box, the TV box, uh, um, on the floor and I saw these people on TV really struggle to explain what was happening in the financial markets. Um, when they weren't able to interview any of the experts because they were all doing their day jobs, um, I thought that they were providing a lot of misinformation and distrust into the markets and creating a sense of paranoia that was not helpful or conducive to, um, really reigning in trust. And so I wanted to do something about it. So I decided that I wanted to be a business broadcast journalist then. And I decided that I didn't want to go to journalism school because I didn't know what, if it didn't work out, I didn't know what my plan B was. So I decided to apply to Harvard Business School because 50% of my grade would be talking and the other 50% would be taking exams. So I thought this would be great. So I applied and I was fortunate enough to get in. And I, I loved every second of it. Um, I was the interesting thing about what happened when I was at HBS is that at least this is what they told me, but I was the only person at the time who dropped out of Harvard business school after three semesters. So I only had one more semester, like two months before graduation. And the reason I did so is a company called Forbes was looking to really tackle video and they wanted a video anchor. Um, and you know, unlike an investment banking or consulting job where, you know, you could wait and they'll wait for you to graduate and then they'll give you a formal kind of, um, onboarding process. Like the world of TV doesn't work that way. There is always going to be somebody else who wants your position and they wanted, they always want you to start like yesterday. And so I had really no choice, but to drop out. Um, I did that. I was at, which was great. Cause that was my kind of first foray into TV and, and specifically into online video. And this is back before, you know, any of the big kind of players were in it. And, um, I then from there, I, I then actually ended up going back to Harvard the following year while I was still working at Forbes. And then um, upon graduating from HBS, I took a job um, at Bloomberg TV. And they said to me, you can either join um, the Hong Kong office right away, or you could join in the fall, the US office. And I decided to go to the um, Hong Kong office because I never lived abroad before. And I was about to get married and it was kind of scary. And so I thought, you know, if I don't go now, I'll never have that chance. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made was to live abroad. You just putting yourself in an uncomfortable position and learning a ton about something um, and about other people's way of life is so instrumental in terms of overall well-being and learning. And so 
Um, I spent a little over three years in Hong Kong, and then I got transferred to the uh, New York studio. And essentially at this time, um, a couple things happened. I realized that I really miss covering news overseas, and I really wanted to build something from scratch. And so I walked up to Mike Bloomberg himself and said, thank you so much for everything you've done for me and for this company. Um, the engineer in me wants to build something, and that something was Orson Alps. Wow. Do you experience fear? Oh my gosh, all the time. <laughs> I mean, just just hearing the last three minutes of you talking there, I mean, you did what I would say is just so many life-changing events where you almost seem to risk it all, whether you leaving HPS after three semesters or telling Bloomberg that you're going to go start your own thing. I mean, what's your internal dialogue like during those events? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, every time I've pivoted, I have been scared to the bones. I have, I, for whatever reason, have like, I always second guess a lot like myself. Um, I have that insecurity like most people. And I'm really fortunate that um, I'm able to kind of justify a lot of the decisions I've made. Some of them have been very, very scary. Like dropping out of HBS was one of the scariest things I did. Um, I mean, essentially, my, my parents were so upset because <laughs> <laughs> um, they didn't think I was going to graduate. Uh, and, you know, leaving Bloomberg TV, leave, you know, I had my hair and makeup done every day and I was at the center of like world news and it was such a great experience. But I just knew that um, there was something better around the horizon and I at least wanted to try, try it out. And I didn't want to ever have that regret that I didn't try it out. And so who knows where my path will go next. But I, I, the thing that allowed me to hush that holy shit reaction was the ability that I thought that the best is still yet to come and that there's other ways that I could contribute to the world. Does that come from self-confidence? The, the reason I'm asking that is, is I think that you have so much confidence that where someone else might see this as, hey, she might fail majorly at this, you don't have that fear, is that you have so much confidence in yourself and you know what you're capable of, where it's not as big of a risk to you because you always know you'll figure out a way to get it done. So interesting. I, it's so funny. I definitely, I definitely am confident, but just like everyone else, I have my very kind of vulnerable and weak moments. I think what I learned early on in life um, by like, you know, maybe around the time I was in high school, what I learned was that if no one is going to believe in me, then I have to believe in myself. You know, I have to get myself out of this small town if I want to, you know, be an astronaut. I have to, you know, drop out of school so that I can become a TV anchor because otherwise it's just not going to happen for me. Or if I want to build a billion dollar company, then I need to leave this amazing world of broadcast news and start it. Um, I'm fortunate that I have a great husband who's very understanding and very supportive. Um, but I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that I have always been my, you know, best cheerleader, like my favorite, the fit, my fit, my best fan, even though it may not always feel like it, you know, there's a little element of faking it. Um, you know how they always say, like, if you pretend to smile, your brain will actually be happy. <laughs> Well, <laughs> so you fake the confidence. <laughs> hey, yeah. And you'll feel confident. I also have thick skin being on TV. 
I, I've seen it and heard it all. So um, I can pretty much take a lot of things. It doesn't mean it, you know, it just goes right by me. I, I you know, you definitely emotionally hurt, you know, hurt from it and react to it. But um, I've got that thick skin. So what about the early days of Oars and Alps? Any major struggles? What was the hardest part of it all? The hardest part initially, <laughs> there were so many hard parts. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> it was like, you know, we had both my co-founder and I put in money into this thing. Like literally all, I put in anything, everything I had. Um, and we didn't know if we were going to see anything out of it. And it was just the two of us. I was doing all the fulfillment initially. And then we convinced our friends and family, which was mainly friends, to give us more money. And that was really hard. It's really hard telling your friends to give you money. Um, and they believed in us. So we raised a small friends and family round. And, you know, most recently we just closed on a seed round. Um, there are so many moving pieces to starting a business. And I always say, if you can feel comfortable with the fact that your manufacturer hates you, your, you know, supplier is going to disappoint you, your um, packaging person is going to disappoint you, your co-founder is going to disappoint you, your employee is going to disappoint you, um, your mom's going to disappoint you, your kids are going to disappoint you, and your husband's going to like disappoint you all in the same day within the same hour. That's what it's like running a startup. <laughs> <laughs> I think you summed it up perfectly there. Because all of those things happen at the same time and you always have to figure out Okay, how do you prioritize? Um, I will say that I love being fast-paced environments, whether it's the trading floor on Wall Street or in the newsroom where there's so much action. And I like kind of, you know, slicing through all the noise and figuring out what's actually most important. That's really, really motivates me. It is really, really, really hard to start a business. It's not easy. Um, I think as two female founders, we have another layer of complexity on starting a business. Um, but we truly, our goal is to make sure that guys, um, aren't going to get skin cancer because they're taking care of their skin. And our goal is to make sure that guys feel good about themselves and that they continue to do these amazing endeavors in their life. And that we are just along for that ride. What are you better at than anyone else in the world? <laughs> Um, I am really good at synthesizing information. I can take a very complex topic and break it down and explain it. And I can do it within 30 seconds before commercial break. Where did that come from? Being on live TV. Hmm. You just got to think so quickly on your feet. Yeah. And I also, you know, I'm an engineer by training. So I, I am like a problem solver. You give me a problem. I want to figure it out. I want to figure it out right away. What's the biggest problem you're facing right now with the business? How do I hire the best people and entice them with, you know, a startup salary? Hmm. Well, we've got some Chicago listeners. You want to, <laughs> you guys hire yes. them right now? <laughs> we are all, I'm always great talent. I would love someone who's a, you know, a kick-ass digital marketer to come join our team. We're also looking for someone um, who is very, very creative and wants to kind of be our in-house kind of creative brand director. So, yeah. yeah oarsandalps.com. There you go. I mean, you mentioned about building a brand earlier, and then you just talked about the digital marketing. How do you stay on top of trends right now? I mean, this fast-paced environment, things are changing every six months. How do you stay ahead of that? Yeah. Um, 
I do a lot of reading. I also just talk to a bunch of people, you know, in my industry, you can't be in your white castle by yourself. You have to go out and talk to people. Um, I always say yes to meetings because you just learn so much from different people. And so, um, in terms of like actual, like kind of like tactical lessons, uh, I also have an amazing co-founder who just knows a lot about like that business. She spent years at Facebook, so she gets that world completely. Is there anything that could happen in the next six months that could absolutely change your business for the future? Oh, how do I talk about this without sounding political? Um, yes, (laughs) (laughs) a lot can happen, but let me just, I'll just say something which is very, very true. It's the holiday season, you know, where the, the whole concept of like Christmas in July, if you've never heard of that, people who work in retail know what that means because they're already thinking about what they're going to be doing for the holidays and how it's going to be amazing because it's the most uh, profitable and, you know, highly high, high generating um, time of the year. And so we're already thinking about that. So uh, hopefully everything goes really well and uh, people are, you know, out there and, and looking and consuming. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. How do you understand your consumer? I mean, are you guys doing a ton of focus groups? How does this work? That's a great question. Um, I talked about this white castle. That's like not what Laura and I do. We don't sit in a t- t- you know little tower and decide you know what we're gonna put into the market. We're very, very, very data driven, and we're also very customer driven. So we spend a lot of time putting together focus groups and getting our products out there and iterating on feedback. We spend a lot of time talking to our customers, whether through social channels or through email. We also really want to make sure that we're building a product for the people, by the people. So nothing we do is ever just, you know, we're taking a product and just throwing it into the market. It's everything we put in has had at least a thousand people look at it and review it and give, um, you know, opinions on. The most important thing for us is to make sure that we are creating a sense of community. Um, and that goes very, you know, hand in hand with the brand is, is how do you, you know, you asked, how do we differentiate ourselves? You know, once we can really kind of grow our community, um, that's going to be very, very much tied in with, you know, why someone believes in the brand. And that's going to be really what distinguishes us compared to our competitors. I mean, you talk about building that community. I've been so intrigued recently with influencer marketing, brand ambassadors. What are you guys doing in that space? And then how do you even figure out the return on that if you bring in a brand ambassador? Yeah, we are lucky that a lot of people reach out to us and want to you know, either be these influencers or these brand ambassadors, which is great in our community. Um, we've done very little in terms of proactively um, searching for these people. So, that, so that's been great. Um, we don't ever, for us, it's more about awareness. So we're, it's really hard to calculate an ROI on something like that. I mean, I guess you could if you had like a specific code. We don't do that because we kind of have a line item within our marketing budget that is for kind of experimental marketing. And so that's where that would fall in. 
Oh, I got you. I mean, you mentioned earlier you just finished up another round of funding. I think what was that? One point three million you guys raised. Yes, we just we just raised one point three million dollars. Um, that will go towards hiring. That will go towards continuing our product lineup, as well as um, really just kind of you know we did very limited marketing, as I mentioned. So we'll be doing a little bit of marketing as well. Yeah, congrats on that one point three. What is it looking like next year to three years for you guys? Are you guys going to be raising more? What are the plans for the for the brand? Yeah, we'll have to raise uh, a Series A, um, you know, this time next year, and that really allows us to take what's working, you know, over the past, you know, the next nine months, take what's working, and then really put fuel behind the fire. There, we're still in a little bit of an experimental mode right now, where we're working on different marketing and we're trying out different strategies as it pertains to customer acquisition. And so, next year, you know, the idea is, you know, we'll have about, you know. 10 products. We're going to have about five new products being rolled out this year. Um, in August, we're going to have two soaps come out, which we're super excited about. One's an exfoliating soap and one's a moisturizing soap. And we really want to own skin online for guys. And what's so great about our products is our products are made with good for you ingredients, unlike our competitors. Um, so we're made with natural ingredients. Um, our feature ingredient is something called Alpine caribou moss, which we source from um, Northern Finland and Arctic Circle. And it's this type of lichen that you know caribou eat and it grows and thrives in this very harsh environment and we think it's very emblematic of the guy we're targeting who's this on-the-go guy who doesn't give up and continues to persevere by the way alpine caribou moss is an anti-aging ingredient it has antioxidant properties it promotes skin elasticity so it's really good for your skin also do you think you guys just stay in the skincare business or do you branch out into other things when you're named Ors and Alps, you can branch out in many different ways. That's why the I asked the question. Is, <laughs> it seems like you guys have that opportunity there and almost strategic play from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, yes, it was very strategic from the beginning. The question is, when do you do it? What do you do it into? And what's the kind of business rationale for doing it? Like, what's the customer impetus? Um, again, we're very data-driven. And so it's really important to us that there's customer um, demand, obviously. And we get a lot of demand. You know, you know, I could easily see us going into different type of verticals, for instance, owning maybe like athlete care. There are a lot of guys who run marathons or writers, cyclists, rowers who have need specific products for them. So we may go into that. But right now... We want to own amazing skincare online for guys. We are not a woman's brand. A woman's brand is going to do you no favors by using those products. We are focused on helping you have uh, really great skin. So hydrated skin as well as healthy skin. And we really focus on making you have more of a youthful appearance. I mean, you mentioned you're not a women's brand, but I want to say that a majority of the guys, the reason they're making these purchases are because of the women in their lives. So how do you both market towards the women and the men? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. We do spend a lot of time um, thinking about both of those channels. It's interesting. About 95% of our customers are actually men. And when you ask how they heard about us, 80% of them will say it's through the women in their life, whether it's, you know, a female colleague or a mom or a sister or, you know, a wife. We, we really um, have noticed that women care very deeply about the ingredients, the efficacy of the ingredients and the natural ingredients. Women do not want to put bad ingredients on their body. And once they care about a guy, they that extends to that guy as well. And so we really focus on the ingredients. With the guys, it's all about results. You want to see 
less wrinkles, use our products. You want to see hydrated skin, use our products. It's really focused on how we can help you do a better, do better at what you're doing. And so the messaging is a little bit different. At the end of the day, though, um, we find that the person who is buying Ors and Alps, um, they are looking for a product that they currently aren't being able to find in the marketplace, which is to say a great exceptional product made with natural ingredients at a very accessible price point with a brand that resonates with them. Hmm. So, I mean, we were talking about you guys raising money and the investors in that. I feel like you are someone who's very strategic. You guys don't just accept anyone's money, correct? You're looking for a strategic investor who can help grow your brand? That's 100% correct. It's really important to us um, that we are working with the right team of people. So we don't want money for money's sake. We um, want smart money, so to speak. So then how do you how do you source that smart money? Are you using past relationships you build at Bloomberg and, and through business school or are people approaching you these days? Well, these days, a lot of people are approaching me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there was a lot of, you know, I guess I'm very fortunate to have some pretty good um, you know, network circles. And so I, I do feel like I am a couple emails or a phone call away from, from some people, not all, not everyone. Um, but I, I think I, I think I just got really lucky. I also think that investors are looking for a couple of things. They're looking for, um, high margin businesses that are really focused on brand, uh, and that are digitally native, which is to say that they're starting off online and that they're nimble and that the founders have a track record of success. You know, Laura and I uh, have very complimentary backgrounds. She's a digital marketing guru. She spent um, years working with clients like Apple and GoPro while she was at Facebook. And I really kind of have more operational um, in the product development that I bring to the table. And so for us, it is a really kind of like a match made in heaven. I think a lot of these investors, specifically at this stage, really care about the dream and the team. Um, so who is the team that's going to lead Horace and Alps to success? What's your next round look like? Any idea? Yeah, well, um, you know, I, we'll, we'll see how the market goes. We're going to have to raise um, a substantial amount so that we can really, really grow um, and see kind of like um, and take it to the next level, um, not only in the marketing, but also in the product space we need to send you know you know, spurn out more product uh we will you know right now we have like one marketing person who does a little bit of everything we need to kind of break that down so one person's doing email marketing one person's doing pr one person's doing uh you know offline marketing whether it's you know subways or or what have you and so we do need more people that kind of help us but the great part about ors and alps is that you know we're doing really well based off of limited resources now and so um it's almost it's very exciting to think about where we can be um if we had a little bit more fuel but we're we're in a very great place right now i got you you mentioned your network how do you leverage your network from bloomberg and just the people you've met in the past I should do a better job at that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just thinking, I was like, hard? wow, you've got, you've got quite a network. I'm sure you've built up. So. Yeah, I've got a great network. I feel like most people, whenever they say it's like, it's so hard to stay in touch with people, especially if you have like, you're going a mile a minute. Um, you know, I think, I think what's great is that, um, most people know how hard we all worked in the industry. Um, whether it was, um, my time on TV or my time on, um, working on wall street. And I think people respect people who are hardworking. Um, and it's, 
I don't always do the best job at, you know, nurturing that network. But when I do reach out to people, people are very receptive, I, I've, I found. Um, I also think there are certain communities that people are very loyal to. Um, people want to help everyone succeed, I think. Um, my business school community is one example of that. I mean, you mentioned you're someone who's constantly learning. We're just talking about your network. Who are some people you're learning from today? Who do you think are some thought leaders out there that you just love hearing from? Um, well, you know, what's funny. What's funny about that is first, I would have to say that I've learned, I learn a lot, uh, from my sister. Um, uh, my sister works in marketing and heads up, um, she's one of the directors of innovation for Stella that like the craft beers and, um, for all of kind of the beer industry. And there's a lot of learnings I share from her. She just knows so much about innovation in that space. Um, I listened to, uh, Tim Ferriss. Who doesn't love Tim Ferriss? Uh, the guy behind the four hour work week. And I um, am very inspired by Megan Kelly, who has kind of set this trail for women in journalism and how not to take shit from anyone, whether not, you know, a man in power, um, like the president or anyone else. And so I, there are a lot of people that I learned from. Oh, that's great. So are you still reading a lot of books or are you just so busy right now where you almost don't, don't have time for things like that? And it's more about the conversations you're having during these meetings. Yeah, I wish I was reading a lot and I, I don't. The only thing I voraciously read now is the New York Times. Um, I get the Sunday one delivered every Sunday and I go through that like a crazy person, but I'm, I have the app and I like, will read the entire thing. Um, because I love, you know, when I have a couple minutes in, in, you know, in a taxi or what have you. Are there any other apps or things that you use constantly to help save yourself some time? Okay. Let me see. I'm going to pull up my phone. Okay. I, I've got monster truck. I'm not going to explain to you what that is. <laughs> <laughs> if you want the perfect photo and to look like Kim Kardashian, I've got perfect 365. Um, I use Slack. I use iScanner. That's actually really helpful. Wonderlist. I'm sure everyone probably uses that. Uh, I use Receipt Bank, which is great. So you never have to like hold on to receipts and you can still document. And you know one that I just downloaded? Oh, everyone should get Think Dirty, which tells you all the bad ingredients and in all of the skincare products you're using. Think I dirty. really like, yeah, think dirty. Um, I am, what's the other one I have? Oh, Headspace. I just downloaded Headspace. But like I said earlier, I'm not into meditation. I, I don't have the time to meditate. And for you to even start your Headspace journey, it's like a meditation app. You need to spend 10 minutes. And I just don't have the 10 minutes to do that. So it's an app that's on my phone that I haven't used yet. Yeah, I mean, you certainly have a few things going on. So so finding that time is definitely going to be tough. How, how are you guys based out of Chicago? How or why? 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 Oh, I just want to know how you got there. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's great because I'm, I'm born and raised in California and then I lived on the East Coast and then spent some time in Hong Kong. I um, met my husband at business school and I dragged him to Hong Kong. Um, and he's this tall white guy that doesn't speak a word of Mandarin. And essentially, um, he pushed to come back to the States. And so uh, he moved to Chicago. I moved to New York. And we decided that... Um, we decided that the next phase when I was going to build the company was going to be in Chicago. And, and that was intentional for a couple of reasons. First of all, I really wanted to create a company where um, we weren't going to be lost in kind of like the rat race that is New York City. And I just felt like Chicago was such a great place to build something. Um, they've got great talent from some of the universities in the area. I also really love the Midwest. It's such a great place. The people are amazing and it's just such a fun place 
to live that I've really enjoyed it. And so, um, I, we've got a lot of fans of Oars and Alps in Chicago and everyone has been just really great at kind of giving you a bear hug. And I feel like the network here, like once you are starting a business in Chicago, people want to introduce you to everybody they know. And I had no friends here, very few people I knew here. And uh, I was able to kind of build a network here just because of everyone's kindness. So I was a beneficiary of someone else's generosity here. Talking about building that network, if there's one person that you could get in front of right now to grow your business, who would it be? Oh my gosh, Ashton Kutcher. Really? I think he would love the Oars and Alps brand and the products. And I think so highly of him, not only as an actor, but as an investor and as someone who would just wants to make the world a better place. I remember I actually asked him a question. I, I kind of interviewed him back when I was at Forbes, but I only was able to ask one question. Um, but I was just so amazed with the response he had. And he was doing a lot of work at the time with um, women, um, kind of disadvantaged backgrounds. And I think this was at CGI, the Clifton Global Initiative. But he is just an all-star. I would love to have him. Hmm, that was an answer I didn't think I was going to get. That's awesome. If there was one person I could interview for this podcast, who do you think is one of the most fascinating people that you've interviewed? That I've interviewed? Yeah, Ooh, based on your Bloomberg days. One. I would love hearing oh, this. Wow. Um, have you interviewed Richard Branson? Oh my gosh. He, he's up there. Number one. I, when you, and you asked me about success, life, happiness, how driven he is, I think he has just nailed it on so many different levels. I look up to him so much. Yeah. So I interviewed him. Gosh, this must've been 2014. Unfortunately, it was not under great events. This was when Nelson Mandela died and he was very close with him. And so I it was actually one of the most challenging interviews I ever did um, because I have Mandela on and I'm talking, sorry, I have um, Branson on and I'm talking to him about Mandela. And then at the same time, something was going on with one of his airlines, um, Virgin Australia. And I had to, I couldn't not ask a business question, but it was as a journalist, you know, you have to do it in a very respectful way, especially kind of given the events. And that was one of the most challenging interviews I ever had was we talked about pivoting earlier, you know, pivoting from, from one topic to another in a very kind of respectful um way besides branson who did you get the most nervous for and how did you handle those nerves to deliver an awesome interview <laughs> i don't get nervous when i'm on camera this is what i'm talking about see i when i asked the fear question earlier i feel like you just don't experience fear <laughs> i think you were like bullshitting me earlier where you're like i get fearful every day i don't know if that's the case I was going to say, I think it's a little different. I feel like there's a camera in front of me. I just don't get fearful. So maybe that's the trick is I need to be like a reality TV star. And <laughs> someone just needs to put a camera in front of my face so that I don't ever get nervous. Hmm. No, sorry. If they put a camera in front of my face, that way I am, you know, like you get what you get essentially. Um, I, I truly think that um, fear is something that not necessarily that you can control. You need to allow yourself to be, feel fair afraid. If you're not doing something that's giving you, you know, those butterflies in your stomach, then you're doing something mundane. Love that approach. All right. So what's one thing that you've changed in the past year based on new research? Anything you do? I do the gratitude minutes in the morning. That's really important to me. And that kind of comes from Gretchen Rubin, who talks about this happiness project and how, you know, we really need to be grateful and really think more about our lives. Um, <laughs> 
Another thing I do is I'm starting to forget all my passwords. So I keep a Google Doc of all my passwords. I now know that everyone's going to hack into my system. But if any, if any of your viewers have a better way on how to manage all of your passwords, please let me know. Um, but Google Docs has kind of been amazing and changed my life. Um, yeah. One thing I do less of, which I feel bad about, is I know you didn't ask this, but I don't use Twitter as much. As a journalist, I always use Twitter and I was always like tweeting like 10 times a day and I don't use that as much at, at anymore. Hmm, that's interesting. So if you could have my listeners implement one thing to their lives, what would it be? I would say be kind to yourself. Um, and I think you can pull that into many different ways. Um, whether it's spending the time in the morning to think and reflect about what you're doing, but just to be kind to other people, open doors. Like guys should be holding elevators for everyone. I I think, (laughs) um, you know, help people. I, I really do think I believe in karma, which is that if you can spend some time working with other people and helping them and sharing something that you know with them, something good will happen to you like the following week. I just know it. I'm convinced of it. I try to help, um, as many people as I can. I spend a lot of time working with, um, women who are looking to pursue, um, a study in the STEM, so science, technology, um, engineering, or mathematics. Uh, I really think it's important to give back whenever you can. I love that. It is a great spot to end on. So Mia, how can my listeners stay connected with you? Everything Oars and Alps has going on. Well, if you want to tweet me, you can. <laughs> um, I am on Twitter. It's at Mia Saini. I You can follow um, Ors and Alps on Instagram at, at Ors and Alps. But I always listen to um, you know people's feedback. So you feel free to reach me directly. It's uh, Mia, that's M-I-A, at oarsandalps.com. So Ors as in uh, rowing and Alps as in mountains. Awesome. Well, we'll be sure to link everything up in the show notes. But Mia, I can't thank you enough. It's going to be fun watching your journey as you guys progress here. Oh, Sean, this has been wonderful. And I hope you get that Branson interview. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> what got you there with Sean Delaney? Uh, what got you there with Sean Delaney? What got you there with Sean Delaney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.